baseball season, and the Miami Marlins have been all over the headlines. So I thought I'd call my good friend Poonit Shah and find out what gives. Poonit is the CEO of Liberty Group and a minority owner of the Miami Marlins. Poonit is also the unofficial mayor of Tampa Bay, so we're gonna talk all things Tampa, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their prospects for Super Bowl 55. Thanks for joining. Let's play ball. Hey Poonit, thanks for being here. Uh, happy Friday, another fabulous edition of Teague Talks. Uh, thank you for joining me. Where are you? You're in beautiful home. Looks incredible. Yeah, I'm in beautiful Tampa, Florida today, and happy Friday to you. Hope everything's going well in Atlanta. Uh, we're surviving. We got a sunny day today. Once yeah. that hurricane came through, it's been a lot better. So, uh, how's the family? Hope you and the family are staying safe. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, thankfully, you know, obviously things have gotten a little bit worse here in Florida over the past few weeks, but um, we're being responsible. We're staying home and uh, everyone is healthy. Uh, the staff is healthy. The family's healthy. My, my son, and my wife are out on our walk and they're healthy. So, um, yeah, we're, we're all doing really well. I hope you and your family are too. Thank you. We are. You got a young one. How old's your son? One, two? Yeah, exactly. He's almost two. He's starting school a week from today. Uh, so we're getting really anxious about that and excited about it. But, um, you know, it's been a tough couple of months for him because he's been at home, you know, the past few weeks and months just with us. And I'm excited for him to start interacting with other kids his age and learning from them. So, uh, you know, it was a difficult decision, but we think it's definitely going to be in his best interest. Yeah, socialization is a big part. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he loves daddy daycare, but... I love that. It's been the highlight of my day. Yeah, of course. But he's ready to go tackle a buddy or steal a toy yeah. from somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's good for him to get out of the house and see some new faces, I think. All right. I like it. So uh, we're going to get into, uh, into sports, but, but I'm going to make you wait for it. I got a lot okay. of good questions. So, so hold your breath. Uh, all right. Let, I want to talk business, so let's get that out of the way first. Thanks for coming on. Um, sure. So I want to talk funds. You're in the fun life, and I think that's important. And we started with sort of the Shaw family office. And mm -hmm. then we evolved into the Liberty funds, one and two, et cetera. So uh, talk me through those. How'd you get started? Tell me about fun life. Yeah. So, um, you know, my father started this company uh, almost 40 years ago. And uh, I was fortunate enough to join right after college. And um, historically, my, my family really just used our own capital for all of our own projects. And uh, as, as, the business involved, and as I kind of um, got my feet wet into the organization, um, we started uh, evolving from a capital standpoint as well. So uh, every deal was originally capitalized through our family office. And uh, around 2010, I actually started buying mortgages and non-performing uh, debt. And uh, obviously there's an abundance of deal flow, more so than I thought would be a, a responsible amount for my family to have 100%. And so we, uh, we partnered with another firm here in Tampa. I learned from them the private equity model. And so uh, their investments with us were through their fund. I effectively saw that and loved it and understood it. And so we raised our first fund in 2014. It was Liberty Hospitality Fund One. It's about $75 million in capital. And we deployed that all within 24 months. So we raised fund number two in 2017, that was $172 million in capital. Um, the interesting part is that our family office still remained the largest single investor in all those funds. So there's a high degree of alignment, um, but it was definitely an evolutionary process. And so as we sit here today, 
Um, the fund, uh, fund one has been fully deployed. We're going to be selling the last asset in that fund, so it'll be fully realized. And uh, fund two um, has been partially deployed. Uh, we're still looking for opportunities and being highly selective. But, um, you know, it's been a really interesting evolution as we have uh, as we continue to grow. But the family office is still really the, the, the largest stakeholder and the most vested interest. So um, I think what it does, is it helps us stay aligned with all of our other LPs. So uh, I'm going to give you guys credit. Uh, one, you did a great job deploying your capital, right? And mm -hmm. even going back to 2010, but okay, 2014 when you started Liberty Fund One, you deployed a bunch, you spent a bunch of money, and then, and then you sold a bunch. Yeah. So you guys, I don't know the exact numbers, but you guys sold a bunch and were out of a bunch, majority of your assets, right? Yeah, we were, we were kind of strategic about that. So between 2010 and 2015 or 16, we bought 37 properties. And all of those were a product of buying the mortgage or an REO directly from the lender. I think there might have been one hotel that we bought uh, organically through a, through a seller. But uh, because of that process, we got to understand what worked and what didn't work and why the markets reacted to certain brands, certain geographies. And as we started getting a little bit into the cycle, a little bit deeper into the cycle, call it 2015-16, and we were getting really, you know, attractive offers on properties that we had bought uh, well, um, I think we started to gravitate to a position where it made sense to start divesting some of our investments. And as we sit here today, I think we have sold close to 25 or 27 of those assets. So the remaining assets, we actually recapitalized, uh, resized our, our position in those um, from an equity standpoint. And I think we have been conservative in our approach. So to put that in perspective, we bought 37-ish hotels in, in that period. Well, since 2017, we've only bought one hotel. And so, you know, I think to your point, it, it's kind of demonstrating our discipline, but also our cognizance of the cycle. And, and I think there's a lot to say about having uh, dry powder. Yeah. I, listen, I don't know if you're uh, brilliant or lucky, but either way, I think you're sitting in a good spot right now. You know, I, I think we're just surrounded with some, with some great advisors. What, what do you think the opportunities are going to look like then? What are you keeping your eye open for? So, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, buyers out there who bought uh, 2018, 19, who may be um, having to resize their, their debt structures, um, capital calls that uh, may arise as a result of COVID-19. Um, so while we don't look to take advantage of, uh, of those, uh, those owners, what we do think is there might be some opportunities to arise to assist those owners, whether it be through a preferred equity slice, um, through acquiring the debt and restructuring the debt on their behalf. Um, so we're, we're focused highly in, in some of those non-conventional ways of either taking ownership interest into properties or restructuring debt uh, on properties that are encumbered by either CMBS or traditional lenders. Are you doing more than just hotels? I know in the Shaw family office you do, but are you doing yeah. Our funds are strictly hotels. Um, yeah. The funds are set up to be strictly uh, existing cash flowing in properties. Everything else, whether it's new development of hotels or some of our, our other real estate ventures, albeit you know senior fam, uh, senior living apartments, retail office, those are all in our family office uh, outside of our funds. They just have a dis different risk profile uh, as do hotels, and so we try to uh, segregate the type of investments within each 
uh, enterprise. And, and I think that makes it a little bit more cohesive for the investor. Uh, you mentioned development. So let's talk about the development. Uh, I know you did that really nice dual brand uh, Hampton Home 2 project down, what is it, Channelside District? Yeah, it's uh, right here in downtown, a couple blocks away from my home, actually. Who's in, and, and there's that Bill Gates uh, and project down there as well. How is that doing? Yeah, so um, that entire development is called Water Street, and it's basically meant to uh, reinvigorate this entire shipping uh, sector of downtown Tampa. It's called the Channel District. So Jeff Finnick, who owns the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, partnered with Bill Gates, and the two of them are doing this $3 billion mixed-use development. You know, I would say 75% of it is under construction already. So it's really exciting to watch the cranes. It's exciting to see the development come out of the ground after years of, of talking about it. Our hotel is located in Channel District. It's the first hotel as part uh, of the Channel District. And uh, we were fortunate enough to be ahead of the curve. We opened about a year ago, almost to the day. And so we are hopeful to capture a lot of that uh, upswing in business and, and the demand that's going to be growing. We're right next to the port in downtown Tampa. Uh, we developed the loft a few blocks away. And so um, that's been going extremely well. So this market is really strong. Florida has been relatively resilient over the past few uh, months, uh, albeit all the challenges that we have faced. But um, yeah, I mean, it's exciting to see where Tampa's heading. You know, Teague, I, I think I mentioned to you, we moved down here almost 20 years ago to see the transformation since moving here. I mean, Tampa used to be a sleepy town and, you know, I had to arm wrestle my wife to move down from Boston. And uh, when she did, she was like, you know, where it brought me today. I can't get her out of Tampa. I mean, we love it here. Our friends have moved here from New York and Boston and uh, you know, it's really become a wonderful place to live. And I'm, I can't wait for you to come visit here so we can play some golf. I can't wait either. Uh, and you'll, you know, you'll be the mayor of Tampa by the time I get down there. <laughs> so, uh, so let, let's transition though. I, the part of being the mayor of Tampa, I mean, your involvement in the Marlins, your involvement in, in other sports, a lot of stuff in Tampa. Uh, I'm going to pick on you real fast. Uh, your Marlins are trying to single-handedly take down everyone, not just all sports. Yeah. They spend one night in Atlanta and boom, there it goes. You know, Atlanta has something about it. Every time I go to Atlanta, you know, I come back a little bit tired, too. Atlanta's just a fun city to be in. Yeah, it's tough to blame them. Boys will be boys. <laughs> That's right. So start with the Marlins. Tell me how you got involved in your uh, ownership stake. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it was a, a, cult of, a culmination of a, a bunch of relationships and friendships that I've grown over the past, uh, you know, 15 years of my career. Just like meeting friends like you and meeting others like you, um, an opportunity came across where um, friends uh, had the opportunity to buy the Marlins and I thought it would be a great um, once in a lifetime type of thing for us and for my family. So it's something I just couldn't pass up. And having Derek Jeter be the leader of that team, I mean, frankly, if there's any one person you would pick to, to partner with and to have run an organization like the Marlins and, and um, you know, the, the, the high caliber of him and his expertise and his background, there's literally nobody else I would want to be a partner with. Uh, and, 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 and so he has done a phenomenal He versus just a mouthpiece and a face of the organization. You know, he, so uh, Bruce um, Sherman is the, is, the, is the majority owner of our team. 
And Derek Cheater is the CEO. So Derek is literally responsible for every aspect of that team. Um, and, and he has just been a phenomenal uh, person to, to watch, uh, to see how he does that. Um, I've developed a wonderful friendship with him. I have a lot of respect for him because, frankly, he didn't have to do this. He, he rolled up his sleeves and undertook a challenge that few people could, could think about doing at that level of his career. I mean, he could be sitting back and enjoying a pina colada right now here in Tampa. And instead, he's dealing with all, a lot of the challenges and turning around an organization in Miami. And he has, you know, two little young girls as well. He's a family man. Um, so I have so much admiration for him, for him to take this new chapter of challenges in his life when he really didn't have to. Has it been a good investment for you? Yeah, it has been um, both as a financial investment. I'm sure it will be uh, fruitful, but I think more so as an emotional and intangible investment. I've had a lot of fun watching baseball. I've had a lot of fun doing games. I've had a lot of fun meeting the other owners within our group. And, uh, you know, I really think that for my son, especially growing up, having that experience is going to be invaluable. So I, 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 from what I've heard, it's more like joining a club. And it's a great club to be a part of and the people you meet and the access and the things you learn and opportunities. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was inspired by, you know, our, our, our friend Mitch Shaw with the Hawks, um, you know, to see him become an owner of a professional team. This was a few years ago. First of all, I've always admired him. I always looked up to him as a mentor. And um, I never thought that I could ever be in that position. For me, when I was growing up, going to a baseball game just by itself was an event. You know, it was, it was a big deal for me to just go see the Cleveland Indians play. And, um, you know, for me to be in the position now where I have a, a small ownership stake in, the, in a professional team is just kind of, uh, it's surreal. But um, it's because of those people who have blazed that path before me that it even became, you know, something that I could even think about. Uh, and maybe I'll loosely compare it to YPO, an organization, and we've had a chance to meet a bunch of nice, impressive people there as well. So yeah, I know you're a YPO member. How long have you been in YPO? Uh, five years now. Yeah. Put it Me off too. Forever and finally, I was like, I don't have time for that. And then finally I joined and it's, you know, invaluable. A ton of hotel people are in it and they all kind of ultimately pushed me over the edge. And I'm thrilled that I did it. A lot of great people. Yeah, I, you know, I would, uh, I would equate being part of a, an ownership group and a team to being like in YPO. I mean, there's just a tight-knit group, um, a lot of synergies, a lot of uh, shared interest, obviously, you know, the common sport. But um, I, I agree with you. YPO has been one of the most amazing, incredible experiences. Um, you and I have talked a lot about it when I, when I come visit you and go to some, uh, I think we, last time I saw you went to the Bucks and the, the Bucks and the, um, the Falcons game together. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember who beat you now, but yes. That's right. And uh, we shared our, our, our stories about YPO together, but you know, what, what I think YPO is really unique about is it's, it's not just business. It's, it's, it's us as families. We're, we're engaging our families. It's helping us grow as individuals. And that's one of the best things that I've taken away from YPO. I'm sure you have too. I, I've leaned on, I don't know if you have, I've leaned on the guys uh, throughout this COVID thing. Everybody, what are you seeing? What are you doing? What are you seeing? And it's everything from, uh, you know, family to business to who's, whose business is up, whose is down, who's got to lay people off, who's shrinking, who's growing, all the above. Uh, and they're all, you know, sort of backing me at the beginning. They were like, Teague, how many people are you going to lay off? Are you still going to have a company? Like the hotel business is going to be crushed. And right. 
Like it's, I'm not laying anybody off. It's not who I am. We're a family and people and I, I've got a plan. I think we can get it through it. And I think I can grow. I think we'll be stronger when we come out of this and they're all on board and like, here, all right, here's how you can do it. Let's do this, this, and they're all helping. So you got to, none of us do it by ourselves. You've all got right. to. I mean, you know, as leaders, uh, I find that we're often in a lonely place. And so having YPO gives you and I a sounding board to, to make it feel a little bit better and make sure that, you know, what we're doing isn't something that we feel we're in isolation about. Um, and, you know, it's another level of connection between all of us. Which we need, right? Surround us by good people. That's right. Uh, all right. So still I'm staying on my sports. Tell me, how do you think that the sports world has impacted the hospitality industry? You know, I, I, I feel so – it's terrible, and I didn't necessarily realize the impact sports has on business, but everyone from parking vendors to hotels like you and I are in that business, uh, restaurants, bars, everyone's feeling the pain. And, um, you know, it, it is such a massive economic impact to different cities, uh, whether it's the Kentucky Derby, the Masters, uh, Super Bowl, or just regular day-to-day -day games. Um, there's just been a significant impact. Um, and, and, and I think it's not just a, a, an economic impact. It's also an emotional impact. People love watching sports. People feel um, as if it's an outlet for them. And it's unfortunate to see that these sports have really been delayed. And, and I'm really hopeful. I can't wait until the day we can all get back together and watch, watch a game of any sort together in person. And I'm hoping that day comes soon. But, you know, it, it, it's a telling sign what's happening right now. Um, unfortunately, you know, the vaccine is, is, is still under works. And, and as it gets developed, I think we'll be back to, uh, back to normal. But sports, at least on TV, brings that little sense of normalcy back to us. And so I'm happy to see at least we're starting up some things. So, uh, but amen, I agree. But pick on the biggest sporting event out there, the Super Bowl. It's in Tampa this year. You yeah, put right. a lot of money out investing with betting on a Super Bowl coming to Tampa. Yeah. Are we going to have a Super Bowl in January in Tampa? From, from everything I've heard, we are going to have a Super Bowl. It may not be in June. It may, it may be in February. It may be, you know, moved around a little bit. Um, but I, I firmly believe we'll have a Super Bowl. I, don't, I think the country needs a Super Bowl. I need a Super Bowl. Um, I, I, I love the Super Bowl, and I think it's going to have a tremendous impact to our community here in Tampa. So um, I, I'm confident that we will have one. Um, I'm not confident about when it's going to be. How are we going to socially distant at a Super Bowl? So it's interesting. My, my season tickets just got canceled, believe it or not, this week uh, because the Raymond James Stadium is capacity at 20, 25%. Right. Uh, so I'm going to miss out on seeing our new stars, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, but we will see them in the Super Bowl. So I'm confident that uh, I'm not going to miss out on that. So, I'm, I, you know, that's, that's shot a whole new level of excitement here in Tampa. But uh, I can't wait to see them on the field. And, um, you know, I think that. I think that Tampa has been waiting for this. We've got a, we've, we've always had a great quarterback, Jameis, but um, having, having uh, Tom Brady and, and Gronkowski here is definitely energizing the city. Wait, and you got uh, Shady McCoy coming down there too. So, I mean, we've got a new team basically. It's a whole new team. Retired <laughs> Hall of Famers, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> are you not going to be able to go to a game? I can't imagine you're not going to be on the field. Or at least in the I, those guys. I, I, I want to go to a game, but again, um, you know, we have to be responsible too with my family. And, 
Sometimes watching at home is a little bit more fun than going out, especially when it's 90, 95 degrees here and often in early in the season in Tampa. But uh, we'll definitely be at some of the games. We're uh, going through it right now, and we've said we're out. Yeah. So, I don't know. How, how exciting is the stadium going to be with 10 20%? I, I, it's going to be a different ambiance for sure. For sure. Um, you know, even when you watch baseball on TV, I don't know if you had a chance to catch any of the games, but, yes. you know, seeing those cardboard stands behind home plate and uh, hearing the, the, the fake noise being pumped out of the speakers, there's something quite different about the sounds that the, the baseball makes uh, hitting a bat when there's no, when there's no crowd. And, um, you know, one of the things I think that's being missed in this whole, you know, sporting arena is, is feeling that sense of empathy for these players because they're not used to it either, right? They love the energy a crowd brings to them. Um, and these guys are just like you and I. They're going to work every day. Uh, and yet they're having to deal with, uh, you know, the risk of getting sick. Um, so it's one of those things that we never talk about. But, you know, these guys are going through some tough times as well. They, they want to be with their families. They want to protect the safety of their families and themselves. They are getting sick, but they're doing it because they're trying to, to make a living, right? And um, and that, that crowd is a big part of that. I think that, you know, when we go to a game, that crowd energizes us as, as spectators. Imagine how much impact it has to these players. How's your golf game? Uh, progressively getting worse, but I'm having a lot more fun. How's your golf game? Yeah, I'm terrible. I haven't played. I, it's the one thing you can do, and I haven't done it. I can't tell you why. Uh, Poonin, I've loved it. Uh, you're a good friend and a good man, and I thank you very much for coming on. Just catching up. It's good to personalize what we're doing out here uh, in this world. So I'm yeah. glad to see you safe. Thank you for asking me to. Keep the family safe. Good one, my friend. Take care. Thanks, Poonin.